maybe you've had a moment in your life when things are out of whack, when uh, things are crazy, uh, where it's just not working, circumstances aren't working, maybe it's job, maybe it's family, maybe it's just in your head. I know I've had these moments where I'm stuck in a pattern of thinking in my head and I have, I'm really struggling to get out of it. You know, I feel like you're in a rut in your spiritual life where you can't seem to connect with God and my thoughts keep coming back this direction, but I can't break free to that place of freedom with the Lord again. I'm sure you've been there at some point in your life and some are probably ready to wave your hand and be like, yeah, I'm living there right now, you know? Uh, and if you, we haven't been there recently, brace ourselves, buckle up, because chances are we'll experience that again at some point. Um, if, if we know what that's like, then this psalm is for us. We're going to be going through a psalm today. And uh, it's a psalm or psalms. Um, we're only going to focus on a few verses at the end of Psalm 43, but Psalm 42 and Psalm 43 uh, were most likely the same psalm when they were written. But then when the canon was organized, when there was the collection of the writings, for some reason they decided to split those two up. Um, and you'll see, um, they split it up into two, but you'll see we're going to read down through Psalm uh, 42 and 43. And I'm going to ask you, where, it's the only, only thing that's actually on the screen is the, is the, uh, the text that we're actually going to work through. So this part that I'm going to read probably is not going to be on the screen here. So, um, But if you have your Bible, then fortunate are you because you can read along. Um, I'm going to read starting at the beginning of 42 and read down all the way to where our text starts, which is the uh, verse 3 of 43. Okay, and this is to get the context of what's happening here. Okay, so um, here we go. Ready? Psalm 42, beginning of Psalm 42. You, you probably know this one a little bit better than the next one. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for you, God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon and from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night, his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock. Why have you forsaken me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? 
And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my God, my salvation, and my God. Vindicate me, O God. Defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light. This is our text for today, okay? Stand with me for these last three verses, please. Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Amen? Awesome words. Have a seat, please. This person uh, is, you, you may recall that there uh, have been times where we've kicked off the service with what we call uh, the Psalms of Ascent. And the Psalms of Ascent are those songs that were sung when they were all going to the temple to praise God. And they were the songs that the priests would use as they walk up the stairs to minister before the Lord. And they would sing these joyful songs of procession. And, the, and you can hear in here that this person is in exile. They're apart from the temple of God. They're being oppressed by enemies. For some reason or another, they're not able to be in Jerusalem. They're held captive. And they're incapable of having that amazing experience of being with God's people in God's place in joyful procession. And they're separated from that. And they're feeling stuck and they're feeling apart from God. I want you to think with me about, uh, about Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember these guys, young guys, who when they were young, they would have gone with their parents and they would have gone to Jerusalem, the tambourines and all the praising and everything, and gone to the temple of God to praise him. But then destruction came. And they were taken off by the Babylonians and they were held captive and they were put in chains and bonds and they had to walk all the way to Babylon. And then when they get to Babylon, they have to live there and they're told by God, don't even bother trying to come back to Jerusalem. Set up camp. That's where you're going to live now. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Daniel and others like them remember what it was like to go in that procession with God. And they don't have the capacity to fix that. So we see Daniel all the time go into his upper room and opening up the doors of his window and looking toward Jerusalem and crying out, God, restore us. Restore us. This person's struggling. The writer of this psalm is struggling because they're having a hard time having faith in that moment right now. They're feeling apart from God. They're feeling separated, but they're having a hard time getting their spirits up and getting to a place where they're hoping in the Lord, where they are excited about what, the, what God's doing and God's presence in their life. They're struggling with that. There's another person um, who was in exile who was really upset about the situation that was going on back in Jerusalem. He was, the, the Babylonians had been taken over at this point. 
and uh, now the king was a guy named Xerxes, and Xerxes had a, uh, a cupbearer, the guy who would taste his wine to make sure it wasn't poisoned. Uh, some people might think that's an awesome job. Others might think that's a scary job, you know, but uh, the cheer for him of the wine was definitely not doing the trick. He was very upset. And he comes before the presence of the king one day and he's upset. And the king says, what's going on? You have a bitterness of soul. And he was, I'm sure he was trying to hide it from the king. You don't come in front of the king all depressed, you know. But he couldn't hide it. It was so deep within him because he had heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being torn down and those who were still there were being oppressed. And so finally he tells the king what's going on. A guy by the name of Nehemiah. Nehemiah leads a contingent of people to go back and to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem, to try to rebuild the place of praise, to try to get to the place where they could rebuild the temple and reestablish a thriving people of God who could relate to God and they could, they could be restored to the fullness of joy. In the process, of course, the people who had been there, the Samaritans, they're mocking Nehemiah. And then the enemies don't want Jerusalem rebuilt, so they're fighting against Nehemiah and those who are trying to rebuild the wall. And with one hand, they have a trowel and they're working on the wall. And with another hand, they have a sword trying to defend themselves. Rough situation. But they make it all the way through and they rebuild the entire wall, an amazing feat. And then here's the moment where things get even worse for them. There's this priest named Ezra who comes along and he gets out the Bible, and he starts to read the Bible to everyone. And by the time they get done reading the law of Moses to all these people who have been in exile for many years, their whole lives have been in exile. They grew up in exile, and they come back and they rebuild this thing. And now they read the scripture, and when they read the scripture, they are completely and totally convicted about just how far they are from God. And their reaction, their response is this amazing response where the whole group of them, even after rebuilding the wall and coming back from captivity, they start weeping and wailing and they're so upset because they're like, as hard as it was to build the wall, we are so much further from God than we thought we were when we realize what this law says it looks like to walk with God. And there's a bitterness of soul. And Ezra and Nehemiah stand up among the people who are depressed because of their own lives. And this is one of the most amazing verses in the scripture. It's Nehemiah 8.10, and some of you might have that one memorized, but you might not have even known the context. And the context is when they're weeping and wailing in this moment about how far they are from God. They stand up and they say, today is not the day for weeping and wailing. We have just heard the word of the Lord. You will celebrate and you will rejoice for, Nehemiah 8.10, the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. This psalmist, the psalms are prayers, all psalms are prayers. And this psalmist, what what he's saying is, is he's kind of like those Israelites who are stuck and he's looking at his life and looking at how things used to be and saying, I am so far from where I need to be with the Lord right now and I am frustrated to death about this situation. 
And so there's a prayer. And when we get to 43, after we've come through that whole reading that we read where I had you stand up, the first thing we see is a cry out to God in response to the difficulty of the situation. And there's this awesome prayer that he prays. And what is the prayer? Verse 3. Send out your light and your truth. Send out your light and your truth. There's poetic license here, the light and the truth of God. There, I, I picture um, what light and truth mean. I mean, there's so, light and truth are things that are used all across the pages of Scripture. So the imagery can go all over the place. You know, Jesus is referred to as the light of the world. He's the piercing of the darkness. We sang about that, actually, in uh, one of the songs that we were singing today, about the light breaking forth into the darkness. And uh, Jesus is, when he comes and his presence comes, there's, there's light, truth, the reality of the situation. I, what we should hear in this situation is as the person's dark and depressed and, and he's crying out for light and life, think of like a flashlight and a GPS or a, in older terms, a lantern and a compass. Okay, this is, a, this is like we need the search and rescue team here. God, I'm deep in it. And he's already said, your waters have covered me. You've washed over me. I'm lost. I don't know which way is up. Shine your light into the situation. Give me a compass or a GPS. Better a GPS. I don't even know how to use one of those compasses anymore. Whatever. You know, bring what I need from you to direct me out of the situation. Bring what I need. And what he knows he needs is the light and the truth. And now, is God's light and God's truth ever not there? No, his light and his truth are always there. God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. God's truth is what it is. Nothing changes God's truth. So then how can he say send it when it's already there? This is one of the things that's important for us to understand about prayer. Prayer, we really, it's super important that we don't think firstly about what the theologically correct thing to say to God is. Just emote with God. Spill it. You know, let it go. It's okay. You know, we got to get it out. And that's what the psalmist is doing. Prayer, when it comes from us to God, there is so much poetic license from God. He's like, say what you need to say to get what's in there out to me. I got it. I understand. The fact is, we need to speak it. So when he's like, send forth your light and life, your, your light and truth, he's not saying, God, you dropped the ball here and your truth is not existent or there is no light in you. He's not accusing God of having withdrawn. What the, the psalmist is saying is, I desperately need you right now. This is a humble prayer. Truly, it takes humility to pray this way. Because when we're in a difficult situation and we're stuck and we're struggling with depressed like mentality and we're struggling with anxiety in a situation, usually the reason we get, continue to get stuck in that situation is because we want to fix this and fix this and fix this so that everything can come back around. But those things are out of my control. And what I want to do is I want to say to God, fix this and fix this and fix this and then my life will be okay. But this is a much more humble prayer. The humble prayer says, show me the truth. Show me what I'm not seeing. I think the psalmist here basically understands there's a really decent chance that I'm my own worst enemy in this situation. That I might not be seeing this from God's perspective. 
Why are you downcast? Why is there turmoil within me? Send your light. Send your truth. Show me. Show me. You know, I think you probably know this. The devil desperately wants to steal joy from you. Desperately wants to steal joy from you. He is bent, conniving, manipulative, deceiving on every level to try to get us to not experience the joy of the Lord. Why? Because the joy of the Lord is our strength. It's not just that he doesn't want us to be happy. As a matter of fact, what he tells us all the time is he tells us exactly how he's going to make us happy. And what he does is he says, if, if you go after this thing, you'll be happy. And if you fix this thing here, you'll be happy. And he gets us chasing our worldly happiness. And then he's like, got them. Because now all I have to do is tweak that thing a little bit. And they're not happy because that thing's not working. But when we have joy in the presence of the Lord, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. And so what he's doing is he's aiming to try to get our focus and to try to line us up in a situation where we're going to be seeing something other than God as the source of my joy. And as soon as we're there, he sets the hook. And somewhere down the line, as I'm chasing that thing, he knows they won't be happy for long. And they won't be strong. And then I got them. Then they can turn against this person. Then I can divide them against this person. Then I can get them to act this way. And that's what he's trying to do to us all the time. The psalmist here in the situation, when he's stuck, gets very humble. And he says, show me the truth. Show me your perspective. Show me the light, God. Lead me into the reality of what it is that's going on. Ever had that moment when there's a conversation happening and you think the conversation's on this level? Like we're talking, I thought we were talking about this and then someone brought a piece of information into the situation, into the conversation that made me be like, oh, I didn't realize that. That changes the whole conversation. Ever had one of those moments? I mean, there was this time where I was at school um, and there was this Buddhist guy who I was talking to. I was in Chicago and he, I was talking to him about Jesus, and he was talking to me about his faith. And we were having this real healthy conversation. And um, he asked me to go see a, a film with him uh, that was about um, Buddhism. And I wanted to go see the film with him because he was been listening to me, reading the scriptures and everything. But at our school, we weren't allowed to go see movies. And so I went to the dean, and I said, Dean, this is really good. Uh, opportunity for me to continue to build a relationship with this guy and just kind of explore what he's thinking. And, you know, can I go to the movie? And he said, no. And I was like, why not? He said, well, we have a rule. You can't go to the movie. I'm like, yeah, but that rule's not like biblical, right? And he said, biblical? He said, when did you think that our rules were about the Bible? And I was like, what? This is Moody Bible Institute, you know? And he's like, we're not a church, we're a school. You know, there's like all sorts of, like, if you don't get certain grades, you get booted out of here. You don't do that at a church, you know? He's like, there's all sorts of reasons for our rules. I mean, we don't have to justify these biblically. We're, this is what we think needs to happen right now. There's all sorts, and man, I thought I was having a conversation about whether it was okay to go see a movie or not, and it turns out the whole conversation changed, and I was like, oh, like the whole context in which I'm understanding this conversation 
needed to shift. This happens in counseling all the time. Good counseling says, you know, a person that is a couple who's having a fight about something and they're struggling to try to figure it out. And then you start asking questions and you realize they're asking a question about how to fix this when the problem is actually this, you know? And that's when we say, lots of times Jesus and the Lord in a situation where we have turmoil and stress, we're asking questions up here and Jesus is trying to get us to ask questions down here. Jesus is absolute genius at asking questions and, you've, and at answering questions, but you'll notice that most of the time when Jesus answers a question in the Bible, he's not answering the question that the people are asking. They ask a question, and if you go through the New Testament, you read through the Gospels, and look at all the places where it says, like, and Jesus replied, and Jesus answered, so often you'll find that his answer has nothing to do with the question that they just asked him. Because what he's doing is he's saying, I'm going to answer the question that you should be asking. And when we say, send the light, God, in my situation right now, send the light and send the truth. What we're asking is, is we're saying, I am sinful and I am selfish and I am greedy and I'm consumeristic and I'm resentful and I'm a sinner and I'm limited. So I understand that in this situation, if I have a big beef and a big problem and I can't get out of it, chances are it's not your problem. Chances are it's mine. And I so easily want to say it's everyone else's problem. But God, show me what you see. Show me what you see in this situation. Send forth your light and your life. The way I would frame this prayer for us today is for us to say, God, open my mind to your perspective. Open my mind to your perspective. Whatever your situation is right now, whatever uh, that thing is that can cause the tension or can cause the turmoil or can get you kind of depressed, I just want to invite you in this moment to ask the Lord, open my mind to your perspective. Let's just close our eyes and say that together. Lord, open my mind to your perspective. The prayer doesn't stop there. It kind of grows and it builds and it's awesome. He says, he says send out your light and your truth and let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. The tone of the, of the, of the uh, whole prayer um, here begins to change. There's a confidence now and a clarity about what he's asking. God, fix my problem. That's not what he's asking. What he's now beginning to ask is, okay, I'm in turmoil I'm struggling. God, I need your situation. Why? I need you to lead me. Where? I need you to lead me to you, to your holy mountain, to your dwelling. And he's getting more clear, the psalmist who's, who's struggling in his life is getting more clear on what he actually needs to ask the Lord for. Ah, I'm in turmoil because I'm not seeing this situation right. And when I'm not seeing this situation right, then I'm not in fellowship with the Lord. So what I need is for you to show me the right perspective so I can be with you and you can lead me back into a place of being in your presence. When he says truth and light, what is truth? Remember that statement that Pilate asked of Jesus? What is truth? 
And what was the irony of that situation? What is truth? What is it? Well, Jesus makes it really clear to us, right? He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We tend to think of truth as a concept, but truth isn't a concept, it's a person. It's Jesus. And so when he's saying send the truth, that's an aspect of who God is. When he says send the light, it's, it's an aspect of who God is. We know that if you are uh, in tune in any way with the needs of your, of your physical body, then there's moments where you might be like, I really need to eat some vegetables right now. It's been like four weeks since I've eaten any vegetables. I've only had cheese steaks, you know? And then you're like, I need vegetables, you know? And your body knows that. What I need in that situation is health, right? But specifically, the kind of health that I need is vegetables. And what he's saying in this situation, the prayer is, I need you, God. Like in a, in a family situation, in your family, maybe what you need right now is financial resources. Maybe what you need is a little more breathing room in your life. Maybe in the community that you're a part of, what you need is more connections. Or maybe what you need right now is more vision and direction about where are we going? What are we doing? All those things, they all have the same answer. Just like light and truth, they're all found in God. You know, give us this day our daily bread. God, lead us forward. God, all we have is in you. And so whatever the need is, what, we, what the, the psalmist here is, is beginning to grow more and more aware that what he's asking is not just for some specific thing. He's asking for the very presence of God to be revealed in his life. And let me explain a little bit of what this means. I mean, sometimes we really want to know how to fix our situation, but the psalmist is beginning to understand that what he needs is a touch from the Lord. It's like that moment when a kid is in uh, a store and mom was looking on a rack of clothes or something and turns around and he's gone. She's gone. Little girl's like all upset, bent out of shape. In that moment, if someone comes along and says, it's okay, I can give you directions how to get home. That's not what the child's looking for. You know, the child doesn't need to know how to get home. The child needs to know that mom is still there. And sometimes our prayer starts with, God, I got to find a way to get through this situation and how to navigate it and how to get to the other side. But there's this thing that can happen when we sense the presence of God in our lives. All of a sudden we remember, oh, I don't need to know how to get through this situation. I need to know that God's in this situation. And it changes my entire perspective and my vantage point because I realize that I'm not on my own here. I'm being led by God. This happens to us sometimes when we can write a story about something that a person's thinking about us or something they're doing to us, but we haven't actually talked to them about it. And then you get face to face and have the conversation and we look in their eyes and we hear their words and we're like, oh, it wasn't really the way I thought it was. That's just what I was thinking. This is what happens in our relationship with God. We can feel abandoned like he says, why have you forsaken me, God? Of course God hadn't forsaken him. So the prayer starts with, give me your light and your truth. But then it says, lead me to your holy dwelling. Man, I need to know that dad is here and that I can't just be messing around in my head and act like it's okay. I need to know that mom is here and when I'm scared and lost, like that, that she's got me. This is the way it is with God. 
I'm in this situation all bent out of shape, all worried and everything. I need to remember God is with me. The second part of this prayer. So the first part of the prayer is, God, open my mind to see from your perspective. The second part of the prayer is, God, open me to the reality of your presence here. Close your eyes. Join me in that prayer. We're going to say, open me to the reality of your presence. Lord, open me to the reality of your presence. All right. With that said, we move into the final spot here. This is where um, he's ready now to tackle his problem. The psalmist has faced all the issues that are besetting him. He's realized, uh, I'm probably not seeing the situation from God's perspective. I'm probably forgetting that God's actually involved in the situation. And so now it progresses. He says, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to, my, to God my exceeding joy. And now listen to how he addresses his issue. And I will praise you with the lyre. That's the harp. Oh God, my God. Why are you cast down, O oh my soul? Why in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my God and my salvation. At some point, when we're kind of stuck in that rut, in that depression, And when we're stuck in that place that we can't get out of, there has to become somewhere in us a vehement opposition to the reality, uh, to the false reality of my depression. So if I'm stuck there and I'm like, oh, this situation's horrible and I'm kind of stuck in this rut and you know, and then we're stuck in that thing. We have to get to a point at some point where we're saying, no, no, no. That is not the word of God. I have just asked him to speak the truth and to shed light on the situation. I know that he's present. I will not continue to allow myself to sit here and think about all the things that aren't working right in this situation. And I won't allow myself any longer to focus on the things that aren't right. I am going to claim the promises of God. I am going to claim the presence of God. I'm going to have my eyes fixed on God. And I'm going to declare, even if I don't feel it right now, I'm going to declare our along with this psalmist, that I will again praise you. It's going to happen. The devil might have got me deceived somewhere along the line. I might have bought some lie, but I'm going to get back to a place of praise. And I know that because there is a God who I can hope in who wants me restored. Why are you downcast? Why in turmoil within me? Hope in the Lord. He's got this. I will again praise him. The greatest freedom, one of the greatest freedoms that we have as human beings inside of the gospel is this, that we don't have to think about things that we don't want to think about. We are told we can take every thought captive. We are told that we can delight ourselves in the Lord. By the grace of God, we have the ability to reject one thought and to embrace another thought, to neglect this emotion that I think is who I am, that's unavoidable, and say, I don't have to feel that way. I can start to meditate on the truth of God that's a different reality. And even though everything inside of me feels stuck here, the Bible says this, God says this, he's here and he's got me. 
not going to think about that. I'm going to believe what God is saying in this situation. And I'm going to hold on to that. And I'm going to make a declaration by the confidence of the cross of Jesus Christ that I will again praise my God in that situation. That's an awesome thing, isn't it? So that's the last prayer. That's the ending prayer. I will again praise you. I will again praise you. We could say that together as a church. We will again praise you. We could say that as individuals in our family. We will again praise you. We could say that regarding our own like time with the Lord that seems to be struggling. Whatever it is, we have the ability right now together with boldness and with confidence because of who God is and what he's done on the cross to say with assurance as we rest on him, I will again praise you. Join me in prayer. Stand up, please. Let's say it together. Lord, I will again praise you. Let's say it in the plural, we. We will again praise you. You are awesome, God. You are our hope. You are our God. You are our Savior. You are our King. When all seems lost, when in any other situation we would have to say, oh, we got to try once again to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and to make this work. We reject all of that. When we say, I need a situation to get a breather, to get a little bit of this or to get a little bit of that so I can get sanity in my life. We reject all of that thinking. It's all satanic. It's all deception. What we need for joy in our lives right now is what's already been given to us in the gospel of Jesus, that we need God, our exceeding joy. And you tell us in Philippians, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. That's a command. We submit ourselves to your command. We recognize that if we cannot get back to a place of joy, that that's not a problem with you. That's a problem with us. So as a church body, we turn to you, God, and we say we believe that joy is available for us today, that joy is available for us in our difficult circumstances. We turn our eyes to you. We fix our hope on you. And we say together, we will again praise you and we thank you and praise you that you are good for it in the name of Jesus. Amen.